India is in the middle of the world's worst COVID outbreak since the start of the pandemic. A few days ago, our colleague Sean Lee went to a hospital there that's struggling with a flood of COVID patients. I went on Saturday to a local government-run hospital in Delhi. And when you show up there, the scene is just, just breathtaking. There's a digital billboard basically advertising what beds they have available. And it said, COVID-19 beds, zero. ICU beds, zero. Oxygen beds, zero. And strewn all over the hospital grounds are people laying on gurneys, just gasping for breath as the relatives are inside just pleading for admission. I was there for about four hours and there were just so many ambulances and cars and taxis and tuk-tuks of people, you know, arriving trying to get admitted. A lot of people were turned away. I saw one older lady who arrived by tuk-tuk, supported by, it looked like her two sons on either side, and they slid her onto a gurney, went inside for about 15 minutes, clearly couldn't get her a hospital bed, so came out, hailed another tuk-tuk. In just a few weeks, India's COVID cases have exploded. 361,000 people tested positive just yesterday. And the healthcare system is overwhelmed. If you're getting sick now, it's very, very difficult to even get a hospital bed. So you just see so many people who just are just in gurneys who cannot get admitted. And every other hospital they're going to try is going to be in the same situation. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Wednesday, April 28th. Coming up on the show, inside the sudden coronavirus surge in India. This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people, for employees, for developers, and even your customers, removing frustration and supercharging productivity. On our intelligent platform, AI isn't just a promise. It's happening today. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Tap the banner to learn more or visit servicenow.com slash AI for people. Sean has been covering the pandemic since the beginning. We first talked to her on the show in January of 2020, when she was one of the few Western journalists inside Wuhan at the start of the outbreak. She left China and went to report from another hotspot, New York City, before moving to New Delhi a few months ago. After my experience in Wuhan, in China, and then in New York, when I landed in Delhi on February 1st, what was... Surprising to me initially off the bat was how relaxed people were about COVID. I had just a low-level anxiety. So many people were indoor dining. The shops were all crowded again. People were having parties indoors, you know, big parties. And I did a little bit of indoor dining, but I just felt very nervous the entire time. And then around like mid-March, I just stopped and I said, I can't do this. Um, like, I don't think this is a good idea. But everyone I knew just kind of said, why? Like, it's, it's fine. You know, like, we're fine. What are you talking about? People were surprised by Sean's reaction because up until a few weeks ago, there was a feeling that India had defeated the pandemic. 
The country did an aggressive lockdown last year and encouraged mask wearing, and for months, infection rates were very low. India had done so well that politicians started declaring victory. In January, Prime Minister Narendra Modi gave a speech at Davos, translated live, about how well India had done. The country where 18% of the world's population lives has saved the world's entire humanity from a major tragedy by effectively controlling corona. He basically said, look, like we defeated COVID and his party, the ruling BJP party, passed a resolution basically saying the same thing, like, you know, India defeated COVID. So that was the general sense. How has that affected people who live in India and how they approach the virus? Well, the government gave everyone the sort of impression that you don't have to worry anymore. So that I think that made people even more prone to drop their guard. You know, if everyone around you thinks it's fine, then it's way easier to convince yourself that things are fine. Sean says that this sentiment coming from the top, it didn't just lead to people eating indoors. It also led to massive events where thousands of people packed tightly together. The ruling party even organized political rallies for upcoming elections and allowed a huge religious gathering called Kumela. So Kumela is a Hindu religious festival that happens about once every 12 years. And traditionally, it draws millions of devout Hindus to the Ganges River where they bathe to wash away their sins. It happens in April. And this year, the government allowed it to go ahead. So you saw millions of people going to the river and bathing. Huge crowds have gathered on the banks of the Ganga River for the second Shahi Snan of the Mahakumbh this morning. Crowds have thrown social distancing to the wind, posing a concern. There was supposed to be enforcement of social distancing and like mask wearing and people were supposed to be COVID tested. But with that volume of people, it's really hard to do. The scientists I've talked to, you know, point to that as a super spreader event. Basically that millions of people gathered in one place with very little COVID restrictions in place. They likely got infected and then went back home and spread it all through India in just the last few weeks. And the risk of these events becoming super spreaders was particularly high because very few people have been vaccinated. So at this point, only about 1.5% of the population have gotten both doses. There was kind of an apathy among people about taking the vaccine. I think a lot of people just were kind of mistrustful of the vaccine or assumed they had COVID already. So why bother getting the vaccine? Or, you know, a lot of people are kind of hand to mouth, like they're only going to eat that day if they work that day. So taking a day off to stand in line to get vaccinated was not something that they wanted to do. It's also challenging to distribute vaccines to the millions of people living in remote villages, especially when vials have to be kept at constant cold temperatures. India is actually a major manufacturer of vaccines, but before the outbreak, it made commercial and aid agreements to send much of that supply elsewhere. India, for months, they were exporting tens of millions of vaccines to other countries. A lot of the vaccines that maybe otherwise would have gone to the domestic population went as export to other countries. Between the big events, the low vaccination rates, and the announcements from politicians that India had beaten back COVID, the number of people testing positive each day started to explode. 
I think it went from, you know, 30,000 in mid-March to like 100,000 in early April, then 200,000 in mid-April, and now we're over 350,000 as of Monday. It just escalated so fast. I can only imagine that it's going to get worse and worse in the coming weeks. The hospitals are overrun. The medical supplies are just, in some hospitals, non-existent. It's really bad. After the break, what the surge could mean for the rest of the world. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. When Sean visited the hospital in New Delhi, she was in head-to-toe protective gear. And the really sad part is at the hospital, right, you know, the only people in that level of protective gear are hospital workers, doctors. So a lot of people came up to me thinking I was a doctor asking for help. Wow. And so I had to just tell them, I'm not, I'm not a doctor. Sorry, I can't help. This hospital is run by the government. It largely treats people living in poverty. And like a lot of hospitals, it's really short on supplies, which puts a big burden on patients' families. A lot of times, you know, they would get calls from the hospital staff because they were so short on medical supplies that they would need to supply their own oxygen tanks. Wow, the families of the patients have to supply their own oxygen? Yeah, it wasn't just this hospital. A lot of hospitals are telling families that you need to supply your own oxygen tank or we will discharge the patient because wow. we, can't, we can't provide oxygen. So you bring us an oxygen tank or else your relative will be discharged. If the hospital can't provide oxygen, where are the people supposed to get it? So there are supply stores around. Um, They're in very short supply, and it's just a very hot commodity right now. There was one scene when I first got there where a taxi was driving really fast and then just slammed to a halt outside the entrance of the hospital. And, you know, I was, like, sitting right there, so I was just wondering what the commotion was. And then the taxi doors opened, and there was an oxygen tank in the back seat. And some people were supporting this young man out of the hospital. And he was very young, right? Like, I would say late 20s, early 30s, clearly very ill. And they put him in the backseat and hooked him up to the oxygen tank. And for about half an hour, he was just alternating between breathing and just coughing. Eventually, the taxi drove away with the young man inside. Sean doesn't know what happened to him, but she does know that a lot of others didn't make it. There were um, several dead bodies that were being stored in the lobby by the front door behind a curtain partition um, because, you know, they had to wait for an ambulance to take the dead bodies away to get cremated. So they were just storing it in the lobby because I guess there was nowhere else to put them. 
As of today, India has reported that 200,000 people have died of COVID, though it's likely that the real number is even higher as a result of underreporting. And it's possible that the outbreak is being made worse by several coronavirus variants that are circulating there, some of which are potentially more contagious, including the UK variant and another variant that's specific to India. We have a new variant, which India has somewhat ominously dubbed the double mutant variant. Sounds like straight out of a horror movie. But given the quick escalation of cases, the scientists I've talked to, the doctors, I've said they think, you know, it must be more contagious, more infectious than the original virus. And the UK variant has been already been proven with research that it is more infectious, something like maybe two-thirds more infectious than the original virus. India hasn't imposed a nationwide lockdown because the government fears it would hurt the economy too much. Some cities, like New Delhi, have issued local lockdowns, but they're pretty porous. So when Delhi announced the lockdown, they gave a list of rules, right? And sort of one of the exemptions was weddings, right? And government official, you know, came out and explained something like, oh, it's very hard to find the one, so we don't want to get in the way of a wedding. Wow. You know, on Saturday, I went to the hospital, right? Spent a few hours there, just saw people dead or dying, and then came back home in the taxi from my building. I heard loud drumming, and I thought, no, that sounds like a wedding. It can't be a wedding. And then we turned left, and I saw the drummers and the spotlight and a groom on a white horse, and I thought, oh, right, that is a wedding. It was just so incredible to see the the contrast between what was at the hospital and these joyous people who are out celebrating it in the midst of the pandemic, it was just mind-boggling. I could not actually believe my eyes that this was happening. Right? I just, my heart sunk. I just thought, oh my God, this is not going to end anytime soon. One thing that might really help is getting the country vaccinated. As the outbreak has worsened, a lot more people say they're now willing to get the shot. Sean says the big question now is whether the country can get its rollout back on track. So starting May 1st, right, everyone 18 and over is supposed to be eligible for a vaccine. Supplies are low right now, and the two vaccine makers right now in India, they can make about 70 to 80 million doses a month, which compared to the 800, 900 million people who will be eligible for vaccine, the numbers don't quite add up. So we'll see how the rollout goes. India mostly stopped exporting vaccines in March and is now trying to get additional vaccines into the country. They officially approved Russia's vaccine, and they're working with the U.S. to get the raw materials they need to make more doses at home. Otherwise, I just think that there's no way it's so out of control right now that it'll just keep burning through the population. What is this all going to mean for the end of the pandemic? Given the size of the population of India and the number of people that are already infected and will probably become infected in the coming weeks, that's a huge pool of people where possible deadly new mutations can come up. Those will spread probably around the world. We already see with the double mutant that the last time I looked up, it's 21 countries other than India have detected that particular variant. So whatever happens in India will affect the rest of the world. If India doesn't get it under control, then the pandemic won't stop for the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. 
That's all for today, Wednesday, April 28th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and the Wall Street Journal. Special thanks to Vibhuti Agrawal and Suryatapa Bhattacharya for their reporting on this story. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.